Hey Luke, uh, what is um, what's your favorite type of pen? Writing utensil. My favorite type of pen. Yeah. Uh, well, I think my favorite brand is probably Uniball. Zebra makes some good stuff as well. Uh, Bic is overrated. I I really like the uh, I really like the old Bics. They had like a white body and like a blue a blue um, cap, and the the mm. ink flow was just great. And I like the smell of it. But I haven't been been able to find them, and I think they've discontinued them. I think Zebra is great for low flow, but if you want high flow, I uh, I think Uniball is tough to match. Uniball for pen spinning I would is say Uniball. I yeah. think is what I what I get at work. Like I have a pen right here from Uniball. Yeah. Um, but you know what I've never been able to figure out is what? Uh, is what they put in them to make them work. Do you know what I mean? Um, oh, Pentel RSVP. That's my fave. Pentel's really good. Pentel's really good. Yeah. And on a similar note, it's just, what is it? What is it that they put inside of these? Ah, uh, but then again, dude, Sharpie is Sharpie is pretty good as well. You know what I'm saying, man? Let me. <laughs> Were you going another direction? So frustrated. What's what do they put in pens, Evan? What do they put? Yeah. What do they put in these pens? I can't figure it out. It must be some sort of mystery. Oh jeez, Louise. <laughs> Gee, I thought. I thought it would be better. I thought there was more to it. Honestly, it felt pretty telegraphed to me. Mystery Inc. is what we're covering again this week. It's Scooby-Doo Mystery Inc. is the name of a Scooby-Doo series. Yeah, this is this is Scooby-Dudes. Um, this is a podcast where, where two friends talk about their favorite office supplies. And their dumb dog's office supplies, too. Uh, this is, we talk about Scooby-Doo. We are doing uh, the show Mystery Incorporated. Uh, we are doing season one episode two we're doing the second episode called the creeping creatures we do recommend if you haven't already heard it listening to our 11th episode yes because it will provide a lot of context and a lot of groundwork this series in particular is very narrative uh so listen to that one first yeah if you want to if you don't want to miss anything my typical recommendation i think is going to be listen to our latest episode if it's not if it's a non-serial one um, but uh, but if you want to go in this episode eleven, rewind. That'll give you a little introduction. You'll know more what we're dealing with here. That said, it's a fantastic conversation that we have about this episode and a fascinating episode to boot. It's it's really really great. Uh, and and yeah, uh, this it, episode it's long. So let's get into it. So long. Uh, so yeah, enjoy, folks. Oh my gosh, I already pressed stop. That's not true. I pressed stop just now. Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. Okay, uh, like the intro probably said, here we are. We are back to Mystery Incorporated. Episode two, it's taken us a little while to circle back to this show, despite the fact that we thought it was one of the most amazing iterations of Scooby-Doo that we've seen yet. Correct me if I'm wrong, and I actually don't want to check because I don't want to add any clicks to this recording, but... Um, I you going to say, and I don't actually want to know if I'm wrong. I, 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 but yes? I feel like given the rotation of how we do shows, we're always going to do more Scooby-Doo Where Are You than anything else. I hope that's the case. Because I think we do every other show, like every one or two. We let it skip a cycle, but we do one Sc Scooby-Doo Where Are You every five episodes in a minute. At, at least. 
Um, but and we try and keep it rolling heavy on the old stuff. We don't want to lean too heavy on the recent. That said, I feel like given our rough rotation, we should technically be doing um, Shaggy and Scooby Doo get a clue. Oh no! <laughs> I am shirking that responsibility hard, boy. No way, man. Like, yeah, we, we really do not want to get back into that show. Uh, you know, the terrible thing is, I know I'm going to find it hilarious, but it's also going to be bewildering. <laughs> it's going to be so troubling and disturbing. It's just, it's such an outlier. It really, and, it's and look, nothing like anything else. Um, listeners, uh, if you want to listen to our first episode, oh, yeah. um, Beware the Beast from Below. Our first episode of Mystery Incorporated, this series. Uh, and if you want to go here, Beware the Beast from Below, you can listen to that first, then queue up this one. That was episode 11. It, it's a rare thing where we have a Scooby-Doo series. In fact, this is the only thing where we have a Scooby- oh, was 13 ghosts. But where there is an overarching story. And this is one of them, where there's a plot that goes throughout all of season 1 and season 2, and all I know is that it ramps up big time. So you might want to go back so, and listen to the first episode. Yeah, you might want to listen to that one, listen to this one. Maybe you're listening- a few months in the future and there's a third one find that episode uh hopefully by then i'll have set up the website so that's easy to find these episodes Wait, in order find the third episode and listen to that one first is that what you're telling me <laughs> after this one after this one listen to that one <laughs> okay yeah you know if this is a few months in the future if you're listening not chronologically go listen to the newest one i i will say this doesn't further the overarching plot too much so if it is a few months in the future and you've listened to episode one, you can probably just skip to episode two. Like, I'm actually going to say right or now, I, I know that we're really sort of like dragging our feet, uh, which I don't mean to. Yeah. I'm going to start giving spoilers to, for episode one. So you've had your chance to stop this and listen to that before this one. You even got to, you even got to spend a little time with us. That's, that's three solid minutes of family time before we start pulling out the spoilers. So, uh. so at the end of Beware the Beast from Below... Uh, they were in the radio station, um, K. Ghoul, or I, I believe it was. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and they, there was a mysterious call from a Mister E uh, that they that they received. Like, hey, Mister, and then the letter E. <laughs> you said, hey, Mister. Milburn. I, I thought you were gonna be telling one of your one of your infamous jokes, uh, which, <laughs> which our listeners go listen to last week's episode. Um, yeah, to get which that was reference. A, uh, yeah. a double episode. And also, pa- it's in there. Patreon donors give me input on what jokes to write next on these terrible, terrible jokes. Any- anyways, um, but yeah, they get a letter from this mysterious Mr. E while at K. Ghoul Radio. And that's basically the sort of overarching narrative that's going to be taking place throughout this season. And that's just to let you know what sort of um, groundwork has been laid in the pilot for this series. Yeah. And, and, and last episode was a masked villain. It was just like a normal crook. But Mr. E says there's something bigger going on here. And uh, just another note on the locale of this, um, this series. Uh, the, episode, the, the show in general takes place in Crystal Cove, the most hauntedest place on Earth, as the intro tells us. This episode is an episode away from that, but that's, this is all kind of based on the gang's uh, going-ons in their town where all of their families live. And... Uh... 
I I feel like we've said this. I'm going to say it one more time before we jump into the episode proper. That's some mm. really solid groundwork, I think. Jump. We're doing The Creeping Creatures. That's the name of this uh, Season 1, Episode 2, Mystery Incorporated. Yep. Aired July 19th, 2010. Uh, and you were just saying that our first episode and, and where the gang sort of like grew up and where their parents are is Crystal Cove. Not Coolsville, Crystal Cove. Uh, but this episode... Yeah actually opens up on the sleepy, sleepy town of Gatorsburg. Yes, I'd say maybe even comatose town of Gatorsburg. We pan in to this cruel caricature of New Orleans. <laughs> it's it's uh, dismal. It is foggy. Uh, it is sort of what you would expect New Orleans to look like in maybe the 1800s. Yeah, like if uh, if New Orleans and Transylvania had a city child, this is it's it's, it's, it's very ramshackle, oh, and it's, you can it's you can almost feel the grind. I was gonna say through, it, through your it's humid. You can tell it's humid. You know they convey a lot. The the settings do have a certain ambiance. They do that really well in this series. It, it's great, and it's sort of um what what films will do, uh when when they're doing certain genres is they'll use a certain um filter. So if you think of movies that have a lot. A lot of like mm. science fiction elements they'll use like this cool blue filter and that's like you know and maybe if it's a romance it's like a warmer like a slightly warmer tint and and yeah. i will say we haven't really talked about like the art direction of scooby-doo in quite a while that they do a phenomenal job with mystery incorporated it's it's a combination of there's only so much to say about the art direction of scooby-doo and we don't we don't know enough about it to to really speculate what goes on what went on in 1950s animation and the art of that this kind of demands that we praise it its use of light and dark was astounding i i say that without and, irony oh like i i don't want to say that this like <laughs> verges on like the cinematic uh it, like like illuminated illuminative work of uh what was the movie was Citizen it Sky- i think it was skyfall have you seen skyfall i haven't but i heard that it was incredible like i heard it was um, a skyfall uses uses light like you would not it's just a gorgeous movie um and it obviously look this episode obviously doesn't reach those heights but they do utilize light in some really uh exciting ways yeah it's uh it's just incredible and we, again we're, we're really taking our time uh gatorsburg there's a station wagon there's a mother and father and there's a teen daughter they're driving and the father thinks he's in he's in new york He's wondering if they're driving down Broadway. He does. He doesn't even think like Western New York. He doesn't even think like upstate. He thinks that they're in New York City. Yeah, and uh, I think his daughter is looking at them, or his wife's like, "No, nah, it says here we're going down, uh, uh, you know, like Gators Road or something like that." And he's like, "Oh man, does that intersect with Broadway? When's that hit up with Broadway?" Uh, one thing I noticed, um, and it's one of two things I will point out in this episode, and something that you usually pick up mm-hmm. on is the daughter uh, has sort of like a. A scratchy kind of low voice that reminded uh, me of Raven from Teen Titans. Are are you saying it's weird that I did not say how attractive this teenage daughter was? Okay, that's I I didn't know that that's how you felt about Raven from Teen Titans. That's fine, dude. You know, what? <laughs> if you're gonna take me to task for it, fine. She's incredibly cute. She's astoundingly, cu- exquisitely cute, man. How old are you again? Are you not like twenty seven? I'm nineteen years old. I'm nineteen. A balding twenty seven year old man. Hey, I've balded. <laughs> it happened. Um, I did look it up, and 
she actually shares uh, a voice actor with Daphne, which is to say that she's also voiced by Grey Delisle, who I believe oh. is also Raven from Teen Titans. Um, so I guess they were and, just like, and like hey, a fifty-year-old woman voicing children. Gray, can you uh, can you voice this surly teen? <laughs> if I knew Teen Titans better, I would joke about how this girl's in the backseat and she says like Azkarath. I because I, I don't I don't know what the words are. Is it like? Oh, oh, you mean like her uh, her summons mm-hmm. or her father's name? Yeah, yeah. I I'm embarrassed. I don't know. I'm I, surprised you don't know actually. Uh, but basically, I, I, I kind of want to, I, I want to run through this and then we have any comments, we'll, we'll backtrack, but, but, um, they pull up at a gas station, the father gets out, he, in, in kind of a f- fun little visual gag, tries to figure out where on the old timey gas pump he needs to insert his credit card. Uh, their little Toto style dog, mm. I don't know what those are called, uh, runs off into the bushes, the daughter goes to get it. Um, it's implied, yeah, it's a terrier, that Toto has, or this dog Cuddles has been eaten by a gator person. The family is scared off by these three serpentine gatory figures. They get into the station wagon, they drive off. Cuddles does manage to get back into the vehicle. Cuddles was not eaten. And that sets up the premise of the episode, which is that gator people are the monster of the week. Now, last week we covered two different monsters: the masked manx and the uh, uh, the creature from the chem lab. The creature from the chem lab was kind of a lizardish, gross, swampy monster. Compared to the creature from the chem lab, came from the that came from the chem lab. How scary are the reptiles we see here? The, the thing about um, the thing about a lot of the monsters on Scooby Doo, if you want to get into Scooby Doo, where are you, uh, etc., is mm. like the old Toho Godzilla films. They were very obviously people in suits. The thing about the gator people is I describe them as serpentine, and that applies to their movements as well. Yeah, I, uh, it's like a, I'm trying to think of the term, like a Nazgul, or a, it's like something from Dark Souls, the way they move. Yeah, it's, okay. it's very animalistic. They, they're crawling on all fours. I, I would almost say that they slither. They have tails that also move. Um, so, yeah, these are, I... This isn't the sort of obvious thing where you you would say to yourself, "Oh, these are um, these are people in costumes. They they act like monsters." And and they just have the mobility and the creepiness of monsters. And again, the use of light and dark makes it terrifying. They've got glowing eyes. They've got incredibly sharp teeth. It's it's an intimidating intro. Oh, and and just one more thought on the intro. I got a big Spirited Away vibe because it's like this family going to this. Uh, like abandoned place and the kid wanders off as the dad tries to pay for something with his credit cards which is the exact same thing that happens in spirited away that is incredible i i want us to move ahead but i'm actually what a what a fantastic parallel that's really great probably no connection but an incredible coincidence and basically after that series of events that we describe we have the introduction uh the theme song and we're into the mystery with joining the gang um, and, and the gang is, they're all chilling at the, uh, I guess what I would call the Jones, it's not a mansion. Manor. It's a manor. Yeah, not a mansion, a manor. At least. It's, it's a stately yeah. home. And they're all bored out of their, out of their gourds. Yes, I love that phrase. Uh, they are. And, uh, this, what follows is, I think, what's probably going to be our favorite gag for several episodes to come. Okay, honestly... <laughs> Uh, a, a little bit of context, like we had already told you, go listen to 
our episode 11, Beware the Beast from Below, to get more context on this. Mm. But we love Mystery Incorporated's Fred because Fred loves traps. It's a consistent thing outside of this series that Fred loves traps. But his love for traps is elevated in this series to new heights. I've seen like these screenshots, I think, on Tumblr and other places, just because they're so... They're funny both in and out of context. And honestly, I don't even think you need context. Uh, it works in any sense. L- like, like it is what it is, which is... Um, yeah. In spite of the fact that they're in a study or library of sorts, Daphne's bemoaning the fact that she has read every... Uh, she's like, Fred, I think I've read every magazine in your house. There are plenty of books, but she only wants to read the magazines. Until mm. she realizes that there's a magazine caught in between the couch cushions that has uh, somehow... Uh, she's passed over it. It's escaped her notice. It's almost like it was hidden there, or was it jammed in there hurriedly? It's uh, and it's got a picture of a a lady in at least a swimsuit, potentially lingerie, um, partially visible, sticking she, out of the couch. She pulls it out, and the the publication this this periodical is entitled Traps Magazine. Il- illustrated Traps Illustrated, like Sports Illustrated. Freddie, and 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 Fred stammers, uh, I. I read it for the articles. The cover is actually a woman in uh, a, a partially clad woman, hold, like in a on the beach, constructing a Rube Goldberg machine out of a bear trap and like a thermometer and a funnel and all these little things. And that's what Fred is into. Fred is a trap sexual for all intents and purposes. And and that is a hundred percent something that you did say in the last episode we did about this show. Um, yeah. And he, I mean, it's it's neither here nor there, but he does state that, it, he probably does read it for the articles, which are about traps, which are what he's into, and one of those traps helps him to capture a doormat, or a, a delivery person, who, who uh, delivers a package. Who's, yeah, it's, I think it's just a mailman, who's just there to deliver a piece of mail, which will turn out to be from Mr. E, but... For the moment, Fred catches this mailman and catches him upside down outside of his door and then brutally gr- releases him back to the ground. Uh, Mystery has a, I guess, a calling card of sorts. It's it's just a little piece of like red square stationery with an E on it, uh, which basically denotes the fact that this message is from him. Well, it's a, I think it's, he's kind of classy. It's a wax stamp, like a fist size wax seal. Just on a piece of paper. It's not sealing anything, so it's not that cool. I think he doesn't want you to ruin it by opening an envelope in the middle of it. He's, no, let me just give you a separate piece of paper with my stamp on it. So it is this little box. Uh, the message is read. It says, save this for a rainy day. Enjoy. And Daphne is seeing Fred open this package, and she panics. Uh, Fred, careful! That might be a bomb! Uh, which I guess reminds us that this is a post 9-11 post anthrax <laughs> scare world you know where where people could not even trust the mail uh that came to their door yeah you you can't assume that you're there there's something about fred or his dad who is a politician that that's going on here because fred's dad is the mayor of not coolsville but crystal cove uh and D- daphne all all of her uh all of her paranoia immediately evaporates when she sees that uh that it's a handbag oh wait strike that cute purse um 
and yeah. and up to this point um there's kind of the idea that or at least i had this kind of idea that mystery inc was a little bit more grounded you know what i mean it, it, it's even though fred has like a has like a, a magazine called like traps illustrated and and people dress up as monsters to do crimes i still thought of it as a little bit more like realistic uh, in part because in the first episode, there's that museum of all of these uh, past monsters that they've, like, uncovered, you know, and, and like, gotten to the bottom of. Yeah, and there's a, a sense of blasé about all the monsters and villains because it's become so routine. So they try to, they do try to imagine and explore a world in which there are so many monsters and strange occurrences as this. In the first episode as well, we explored the legal ramifications of trespassing to solve a mystery that no one asked which, you to which solve. Is... Uh, when the gang, in the very first moments, gets slammed in yeah. the slammer. Not slammed in the slammer, they get thrown in jail. <laughs> they get imprisoned. God. They, are, they are placed in the slammer and then promptly left alone. Okay, that, that is all to say that I, I had the impression that Mystery Incorporated was, was a cartoon, but not too cartoony. If that makes sense, mm, that's a good way of putting it. I get that, and and all of that is to say, I know that I we can't, it, we went on a seeming tangent. It is related, um, because Daphne notes uh, that um, that this that the origins of this particular handbag must be the its point of origin must be Gatorberg. Yeah, it says so on the thing. It's a hundred percent Gator leather. This bag, and it's made in Gatorsburg, where we opened up. And so we get a little brief, a little history of it from Velma's very lips. Yeah, Velma says, uh, Velma says that this can't be possible. They, Gatorberg has not produced any any uh, materials or, or paraphernalia, uh, ev- not since the Gator mines dried up. And like you said, there is a little bit of a history uh, that's pre- presented to us in this fun, old-timey, sort of like sepia-toned manner. Yeah, yeah, it's the oil rush but with gators instead of oil. And it's hilarious. It's very funny. Apparently, prospectors went to Gatorberg to find gold, and instead of gold, they found gators. And Even it's better. All these little, it's all these little animations, like like they, they put down um, like an oil well, and what springs up from it is, I guess, some sort of liquid, and also gators. Yeah, and there, and there are all these prospectors bringing gators in, and they're talking about the gator wells drying up. And in the very first scene, it's a guy sifting for, panning for gold, uh, prospecting, and getting a pan full of gators instead, which are even better, as we are to understand. And, and basically, that's their mystery. They realize that the mystery is, they, because Scooby smells it, and Scooby says, uh, it smells brand new. Uh, mm-hmm. which, so how could, how could this town, which I guess has run out of gators, which, look, let's just say... A little, like dark maybe isn't the word, but it's a little sobering, because because this is a living species, and not just well, like it was a living species. I mean, let's be honest here; it's extinct. Yeah, it, it's just the idea that this particular natural resource once lived and breathed. So, like when you say the gator mines ran dry, it doesn't quite have the same ring as we hunted these gators to extinction. He, this shot immediately before that is old sepia tone hunters like laughingly ranching gators while riding horses. Probably wouldn't actually work in real life, but apparently they drove into distinct extinction 
with success by that method. Um, and see, I wish it is a little dark, and it's also wacky. It's like this is the literal story. It's not like they could have framed it as this is the story Shaggy is telling about Gatorsburg, and that would have introduced an unreliable narrator that would have allowed them to tell the same joke. Yeah, but Velma, we believe because she's the intellectual, she's the smart one. Yeah, which is being undercut in this and variously in this series. They they seem to purport it, but they don't seem to support it. Oh, this is one last thing I want to. Sometimes I wish that I did more research. Sometimes I'll write jokes that I want to tell, and then not do the research needed to follow up, because I wanted to say that Velma, in her excitement over this new mystery, uh, delivers Luke Cage's classic line, and I guess I can say one from the comics, which is, uh, "Where's my money, honey?" <laughs> uh, which I will not say in uh, using like I guess Ebonic using that like vo- A-A-V-E voice <laughs> yeah well me neither so I feel like you say that as if tempting me to do so but no sir is is his catchphrase in the comic what is his catchphrase it's sweet Christmas which is what which is what Velma says it's the says. same as what Velma says yeah Velma yeah. actually says sweet Christmas which is it's, it's a fun little I guess Marvel nod because sweet Christmas had long been Cage's catchphrase um, but they yeah. they basically I, ostensibly pile into the mystery machine and when we next see the gang they are in Gatorburg um, and, and it's Gatorsburg real Gatorsburg. quick just great so now I don't have to put that in the corrections thank you so much <laughs> yeah, um, no problem Velma notes with some not dismay uh, maybe mild contempt that this is what happens when civilization is based on an entirely gator based economy <laughs> It's clearly a crumbling town, but it has an inc- some incredible infrastructure that hasn't yet faded, including the fountain that they pull up next to, which has just like a tower of gators with a giant one on the bottom and then smaller ones stacked on top. And the small, the one on the very bottom has open jaws around a small, like, prancing cherub. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I didn't pay that much attention. That's a that's a pretty uh, good catch. It it was weird. It's like they're talking about the mystery in Scooby. This is Scooby's wander to the it's, side moment, which has become in it's, my it's a mind little a trope. Vi- like like is... we've talked about the visual gag, which is when 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 the adults are talking, Scooby the child must go off and entertain himself. Yeah, or Scooby just a not so conversant member of the gang, who's there. Like it's a waste of Scooby to not to use him for anything other than comedic relief or emotional uh, beats. The, this fountain was made of gators eating a baby. <laughs> that's what the fountain is of. If it wasn't clear, that's what the fountain depicts. And the jaw snaps shut on the baby because Scooby makes it. It, like, crumbles apart that way. Just an incredible tableau. Oh, again, oh, this is the last time I'm going to say it. We told you to listen to episode one. Uh, a big part of Mystery Inc., which is, to my knowledge, not done in any of the other shows, mm-hmm. is that they really play up the, relationship, the heterosexual relationships. Not... You know, specifically, uh, i.e., Fred and Fred and Daphne, Velma and Shaggy, and we get a little bit of a reminder that Velma is pretty into the Shagster. Uh, she she tries to hold his hand, and this is a carryover from the first episode. Shaggy does not want Scooby to know that they're a thing, because he's afraid Scooby will get jealous and feel like Shaggy is drifting apart from him. This, and, you know, if it wasn't clear already, Daphne's also into Freddy, who is not giving her anything back. That was a big because, thing last episode, because he's into traps. Once again, Fred likes traps. Um, yeah. There's just a... I'm just going to breeze through this. Um, they Scooby and Shaggy are hungry, as, which is 
the norm. They see uh, they see a restaurant called Gator Burger, kind of like your standard mm. um, abandoned fast food restaurant. They walk in and on the counter is just a pile. I, I wrote it in my notes, a pile of burgs, just like a pile of like wrapped burgers, and they just start eating them. That's not explained. These are Gator Burgers. Like they've got small lizards in each one. And it, since it's a small lizard and it's a very greasy burger, it's impossible to tell if this is deep, is completely rancid, or if this is a burger in its prime, if it was made yesterday. I have no idea. And, and honestly, it doesn't even matter because Scooby and Shaggy eat them anyway. Yeah, they don't, that's not a question they ask. Uh, we, we do, though, get a very short little uh, exchange or scene in which um, Velma says we need to talk i.e. about their relationship, about what they're going through. Shaggy does, Scooby's too close. Um, Shaggy then says, Velma, what's wrong? Velma sa- or, so, sorry, Shaggy says, what did, I do? what did I do? And Velma says, nothing. Which is obviously the problem, that Shaggy isn't acting. And in the, in the background of that shot, we have the mascot for the, uh, that gator burger place, which is um, a, an anthropomorph- anthropomorphic gator um, holding a... Uh, like about to eat a burger balanced on its tail. And it's kind of this implied moment before Ouroboros um, <laughs> that might might have some like uh, greater literary implications to Shaggy and Belma's relationship. I don't know. I, I gotta uh, say, let's your, just keep that in mind. Your reference game is like for you're you're dropping like Miyazaki references. You're talking about like Ouroboros. <laughs> like I, I'm really liking what you're like. I'm picking up what you're putting down, and I'm liking it. <laughs> Man, these are my on-the-fly references. All my notes are just poop jokes, <laughs> just versions of trap sexuals. Uh, and and um, speaking of trap sexuals, Fred says with a lot of disappointment in his voice, uh, "Let's go, gang. There's nothing to trap here because they've they've come up with nothing." Uh, Fred's the kind of person who would run Gators into extinction, but he can't run out of Gatorsville that easily. Gatorsburg, excuse me, Gatorsburg, Gatorsburg. Ugh, Gator's Burger. Now I'm getting confused. But he can't. He turns the keys to the turn on the mystery machine, and it just clicks. It's dead. It's like the starter isn't working, or the battery's completely dead. Uh, and and he he opens up the hood. He pops the, I, the pops the hood. Um, and the problem is, uh, you yeah. see that hole there? There should be an engine. <laughs> the, their engine is just it's missing. Someone has taken it. Yeah, we can tell by the five wires that are not connected to anything. Everyone knows engines connect with five wires. Uh, a, an enormous vehicle uh, pulls up. Um, out of it comes a very large trucker type uh, whose name is apparently... His, his, he has like a, a shirt that has a little name tag on it that says Gator. His name is apparently Grady. Grady Gator indeed. And he's jacked. He's like a trucker that only uh, does like over-the-road trips for, with bodybuilding equipment. And that's all he uses on his he's rest stops. Huge. He's he jacked. he says you kids are in serious trouble without really explaining why. He also has like a scratchy kind of voice, mm. um, which is it's obvious that he's voiced by John DiMaggio, who is uh, Jake the dog from Adventure Time or Bender from Futurama. He's one of the great uh, voice actors of our generation. I think he's a voice of a generation. And and he he grabs Fred by the lapels. And Fred notes, this is really so weird, Fred notes the size of his hands and then asks him, what size is your ring finger? Which he reacts, Ga- Which Grady Gator responds to, as anyone would, like with 
kind of surprised indignation, like, why do you want to know that? What? And that's, that should be the audience's reaction as well. It's, it was my reaction, because the only reason you would ask that is if you wanted to size a ring. Yeah, to, like, marry someone. Like, is, is Fred hoping that Grady is a homophobe and trying to throw him off his game? <laughs> or is, is Fred hoping that Grady is homosexual and trying to get in good? Either to manipulate him or to express something. Uh, Velma asks if Grady wants to check out the mystery machine and see what the problem is. And he asks why, and she says, because you're a mechanic. Um, And this is completely unnecessary because they already know the engine is gone, which Grady does confirm. To me, the payoff is that after slamming the, the hood back down, Grady wipes his hands on a piece of cloth, which is what <laughs> mechanics do after they've told you what's wrong with your car. He, it's like the mo- he treats it like the most routine car check has just happened, like an oil change is needed, but the engine is missing. He's like, yeah, so what your problem is is that the engine's missing. Uh, we're going to have to order a new one from like this town over, but it won't get here till tomorrow, which is also sidestepping the issue that if your engine is missing, your car might be totaled. Like, that's a possibility. It'll cost more to get an engine in that car than the car is going to be worth afterwards. Uh, at this point, the gang realized that they are stranded in Gatorsburg. Um, and, the problem, and the problem is that Crystal Cove is, and I quote, over three miles away. Which, when you think about it, is laughably close. Like, that's a walk home from school as far as I'm concerned. Uh, like, like, granted, it is at night, but if they really wanted to, they could just walk the three miles back to, to Crystal, Crystal Cove. Um, They're four healthy teenagers and a dog. That's like that's a pretty safe crew, I think. They all they all call their parents on their cell phones. Uh, they're they're trying to see if they can get picked up, which is reasonable because it's not. Again, it is not far. They are not far from home. Um, I will I will say I will give uh, Velma's mother's answer, which is that um, she is going to be watching horse racing, and apparently she's very. T- astrology because she says venus is in its third retrograde so you know i'm betting on sick little monkey to show uh what what is uh what is mayor jones doing well mayor jones is just relaxing by the fireside and he's just reclined his lazy boy and you know once hang on once he's reclined his recliner or once his recliner is in the reclining position and uh, and what does daphne's mom say this this seems we've talked about the sexual politics of the show and sort of the fact that, you know, Daphne and Velma could stand to have a little bit more agency besides pining over their respective uh, male loved uh, objects of, aff- of affection. This seems really odd and backwards and in that Vel- Daphne's mother apparently doesn't go out in the dark. Yeah, she's like, oh, but Daphne, it's dark out. I can't go out in the dark. It's not safe. I think the joke they're trying to make there is clear that... She doesn't want to go out in the dark, but she's fine with her daughter going out in the dark. I... Or being out in the dark way away from home, like, stranded. I wanted to say that there was something here to them not wanting to pick up their kids, but... And and the first three being kind of, like, hokey. But I do think that Shaggy's parents maybe are an outlier in that they're doing something that they do every week. Yeah. We hear Shaggy's uh, reach their, his parents' voicemail. He's not even able to get through them, and we hear his father's voice. And Shaggy's father is, in this iteration, voiced by Casey Kasem himself. Shaggy, 
for the first time ever is not Casey Kasem, but is voiced by Matthew Lillard, who has been Shaggy ever since. So this is a very a passing of the torch series, as I said before. And uh, and as we pan from the tape recorder, we pan over to Shaggy's parents. And and yeah, he he's 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 a, he's he's in a state of repose. He is in in a also in a state of undress, and his wife is painting him. And Shaggy then remembers, oh, that's right, it's still a life night. And the thing is, he's in he's in a state of repose. He's like got a like not a toga, but just like a towel draped over his loins, and he's holding a bunch of grapes. This is Mr. Rogers, Shaggy's dad, and his wife is painting not him, but the bunch of grapes. That's all that's <laughs> made it onto the canvas. <laughs> I don't know if he just really wanted to get involved. He's like, hey, can I pose for you? And she's like, fine, but I'm not gonna paint you. I love you, honey, but it's not gonna happen. I will say before we move on again, I thought that there was something here. I thought maybe all of the parents as like a unit were sort of like colluding against their children. But the still life night, given that it sounds like it's something that happens on a weekly basis, is what throws me off from that uh, little conspiracy theory. I, I thought that might be the case too, but we did have a little bit of evidence in each case, I guess except uh, Velma's, uh, Daphne's mother's, in that Fred's dad was reclining by the fire and did have his lazy boy, his recliner reclined. And, uh, and Velma's mom did look at a painting of herself and a horse, as she said this, which is just right there on the wall next to her. I don't know, but well, let's see how stuff plays out in this episode. Really, the big thing that is that they're stuck. They can't get an engine till tomorrow. They're stuck in Gatorsburg for the night. Fortunately, there is an inn nearby. Yeah, Grady tells them that if they if they do need to stay in this town which basically is dead like there's nothing going on here um that his sister greta does run an inn called the drowsy gator um and when when they walk up to it scooby sees the sign and and i'll read it out for you guys the drowsy gator hotel and then underneath it says pool food sundries um shoot i should have made a sundries joke uh, there's no way the sun dries, sun dries tomatoes. anything here. Like, it is very overcast. No. Uh, Scoob, the sun does not get a chance. Scoob sees some of the letters blink mm. out. Uh, and what do, what does the sign say? The sign says, The Dow's Gat Hotel Pool Sundries. Oh, hang on. It wasn't quite done blinking out. Let me give it another sec. It says, The Dosga Ot Sun. Nope, let me give it one more second. It's flickering other stuff now. Scooby's still looking at it. It says... The dog dies. And you know what? The first time I missed the dog, I only noticed dies. So that was a joke for me being stupid for most of that. But at the end of that day, I did miss something. Yeah, it says the dog dies. He then tries to get the attention of the gang. It's it's nothing. It, it, basically, all the lights are on. And it, it was all in his head. But but Scoob's pretty pretty frightened. Um, we we go in and we see Greta. And Greta is, is leaning against the mantle or of a door right is is that the mantle the mantle of a door yeah. in, a, in, a, in a door frame you're right and and greta looks what i would describe as an old west prostitute <laughs> yeah this does feel like you've reached the uh this is like the starting level of west world uh and she, we see her in, pro, in profile initially yeah sorry i, I should have been more clear she does not look like a young attractive old west prostitute she looks like one who got there at the beginning of the old west and has remained 
<laughs> Nobody pulled her out west. Nobody's like, hey, come on, we gotta get out of here. What? She's... Uh, Plymouth Rock is where she was born and where she stays. Um, Fred says, uh, we have to nail our Fred impression. You and I need to work on this outside of not being on the pod, outside of the podcast. I need to, I need to put in time more than I need to put in time at the gym. I need to work on my Fred voice. Hey gang. Can you say, uh, do you have any room? Hey, do you have any room? Uh, we ain't got no rooms. And then Fred says, but your sign in the window says vacancy. That sign's broken. And then Velma says, but it's a painted sign. And then to this Greta grows apparently irate and calls for yet another relative. Uh, this is her son. Um, her son's name is... Oh, and, and really quick, I'm sorry. What, when she Before she calls for him, I missed that she turns and looks at everyone. And she is very wall-eyed. Yeah, like like the fish um the fish did the walleye in that her eyes point in different directions completely is that is that a bad word should i not say walleye uh i i don't know i feel like i saved you and i feel like you coming back to it (laughs) i don't know like what's the opposite of she's the opposite of cross-eyed she's 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 standing there eyes akimbo Oh my gosh, there is no easy... The opposite of cross-eyed is divergent strabismus. Yeah, that's what she is. She's divergent strabismus. Exotropia. And I, it's a little disappointing that they kind of make a gag out of it because it's not a bad thing for someone to have. It looks a little creepy, but it's not... Like, the gang is a little skeeved out by it. Uh, her son is is very tall, very lithe, has a little bit of like an emo haircut going on. Um... He looks like one of the members of the Gang Green Gang from the Powerpuff Girls, uh, but not green. To me, he looks like that uh, Teen Titans villain who is like a devil boy with a cat. Oh, uh, shoot! What is his name? Uh, I'm. I'll just put it. I'll just put it in the corrections on the website. Simon. Is it Simon? Is his name Simon? I think you're right. Yeah, but and he's this guy is very tall. He's very lithe. One fun detail, besides the fact he's got a very emo haircut with like hair going down on one side, is that he's got a very severe part on the other side that strongly resembles a devil horn because it's a cut of his skin that goes up. Oh, that is interesting. That's a very that is also a very good catch. They they have some nice um, little artistic touches here, but my big thing is just that he's so slithery and so lithe, and that he kind of sli- slithers up next to his aunt, grandmother, uh, his mother. His mother. mother. Excuse me. Greta. Greta is Gunther's mother. Um, so uh, I, I, there's a whole bunch of commentary that I really want to jump on. Before we get there, they're walking up the stairs to get to their rooms. Uh, they see three paintings. One is the famous like dogs playing poker painting, but it's gators. Um, there's an old timey portrait, and then mm-hmm. there's American Gothic. But American Gothic is also sorry. All the paintings are gators. Um, but the American yeah, Gothic alligators replaced with everything. Yeah, uh, there's a there are claw marks, which Shaggy points out, and then uh, Greta says something to the effect of "I don't see nothing," uh, but it's it, it's it's a hint of there being some sort of like bestial, like animalistic. There's there's something here that created these claw marks, and and Shaggy does pull a claw out of the the claw mark thing in the wall. So I, I now want to take the time to say, I know in last week's episode, please go listen to it. Please listen to, if you like what you're listening to, I feel like all of our episodes are good. 
last week's episode... I, I feel like whichever episode you're listening to, our other ones are better. So you need to check out more. So they'll, they'll just never listen to a full episode. They'll just keep thinking, oh, another one is better than this one. Yeah, but then if you listen to all episodes, like for the first five minutes and none of it's good, it's always the next five minutes where it gets good. So first do another episode, then do another five minutes. And when you've exhausted that... Donate to us on Patreon. Our content is on there. That's really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, the, re- the reason I bring up last week's episode is because uh, we were trying to add more analysis to the show. Mm. Um, and I think this is, this is actually something that I do want to talk about a lot, in which I think you uh, sort of hinted that you might want to discuss. Um, and it starts with um, Greta telling them that there are three rules. The first rule being that boys and girls are in separate rooms, no exceptions. The second being mm. that you stay in your room no matter what you hear. And then she mentions all of these like terrifying sounds, as well as like the sound of like a body being dragged along the carpet. And the third one is that there are no pets in the hotel, so Scoob has to sleep in the mystery machine, which he's not happy about. And and we, I, I think before we get to Scoob sleeping in the mystery machine and the implications of that, are you going to talk about the guys and the girls sleeping in separate rooms? Is that what we're going towards? That, That's exactly yeah. it. Um, and... One one of the big things about slasher movies, which are not quite horror movies, but they're obviously related. Slasher movies uh, very often feel like morality tales. tales. Hmm. Um, because in slasher movies, uh, it, it's always like young teens who are being killed, uh, but they're young teens who are having sex, uh, i.e. like, you know, like sinning or like doing something bad. So yeah. in a way they're being murdered by like a machete or an axe or what have you is like a deserved punishment yeah it, it, a morality tale from a a very conservative sexual perspective and oftentimes Correct. these teens are doing other amoral things uh from a certain from other perspectives at the same time and uh, so it seems like it's at the bo- at the same time very enticing to watch you want to be voyeuristic and see it and it feels good to see them get their comeuppance and and just just the general premise of there being two teen i would say like fairly conventionally attractive teen couples um in hmm. this frightening uh setting feels like it feels a lot like one of those movies especially since uh what happens next is that uh Velma sneaks out of well she doesn't sneak out but she leaves the room to uh, to meet with Shaggy it it almost feels more illicit because they snuck out to meet each other. They snuck out and they hooked, they not hooked up, but they met up. And Fred and Daphne end up meeting up as well. Just this whole episode and this whole series. Had, they're very, yeah. they're breaking these explicit mm. rules, like which is ties into what you're saying is it's not like they, they were just in different rooms and then they went out and met. This woman, this authority figure spe- specifically told them, don't leave your rooms and boys and girls never in the same room. You know, granted, everything about this woman undercuts her authority. And I'm not talking about her appearance. I'm talking about the disturbing things that she says all the time. Um, so, like, it's kind of like it's authority that ought to be defied. This series' perspective on sexuality is something that is uh, just yeah, I inscrutable. I, I have no idea where it's what it's trying to say. Because on the one hand, it's like, separate these guys out. On the other hand, get together. On the one hand, it says all these girls are just trying to get with these guys. And these guys are trying to chill. Like, what... What is that message? What on what planet is that message supposed to be broadcast? It is. It is pretty weird. Um, I will uh, point out just one little thing I thought was kind of funny. Is uh, 
Daphne asking Velma if she did something with her hair and Velma responding that she raised her bangs oh. half a centimeter to bring out her forehead. <laughs> it was uh, the bring out my forehead bit was fantastic. I love that. I, I think it's I think it's really interesting because you would think that Daphne, the more attractive, ostensibly more popular girl would be the one to sneak out to try to meet with Fred but it's completely the opposite yeah I think it's well Velma and, and Shaggy have hooked up per se they made out before so that's kind of established and Velma's trying to leverage that and Velma expects that she deserves something back at this point because Shaggy is committed at least in part but Fred has given Daphne nothing so Daphne's not putting herself out there as much I think that makes sense let's yeah and what do you think no, I, I, I agree with that. I, I want to talk about my favorite part of the entire episode, though. This is... Ugh. There's... Look, we've only gotten two episodes in. And have you have you watched further than this? Because I have not. I have not. No. Okay. Oh, hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Are you about to talk about Shaggy and Fred's convo in their <laughs> room together? Because that is by far the best part of maybe any Scooby series I've ever seen. <laughs> That's just... What I was saying, I want to say that there's an argument for Fred being an asexual, being ace. And I don't know, I highly doubt that that's what's going to happen. I feel like at this point in the series, that theory has a lot of validity. uh, Fred and Shaggy are in the rooms. They have not broken curfew. They have followed every one of the rules laid down by Greta. Fred thinks aloud to Shaggy, you know, Shag. When we all graduate high school and move in together, we can get a room just like this. You like bunk beds? Oh, that first line. You know when we grow up, graduate high school and move in together? That's, that struck me like an arrow in the heart. Oh, oh, that's the most naive, painful statement I've ever heard in my life. And then, like, can, we can be roommates. Can we get bunk beds? Oh, my gosh. Uh, he, he later asks, hey, do you like flannel or cotton sheets? <laughs> Okay, so your angle is that Fred is asexual. What I've been waiting for is I think Fred might be gay. He's not made any moves or anything towards Shaggy. Maybe Fred doesn't even know it, but Fred is planning both of their sheets at the same time. And I don't think it's because there's a two-for-one deal. I think think he's doing it. He just wants a sense of simpatico isn't the word. He just wants there to be, like, a visual co- cohesiveness to the room. Yeah. Sheets match. Beast, two backs. You know? It's, like, <laughs> it's just got a certain symmetry to it. My favorite thing about Beast with two backs is that it's a Shakespearean reference. So, technically, really? it's, like, pretty, like, high-minded and, like, intellectual. Well, to me, it just sounds old-timey, so I like it in that kind of, like, really old, um, stodgy, sexual kind of way. Anyways, uh, that, it's incredible. This striking poignant uh insight we have into fred's you say vision for poignant? the future poignant isn't it poignant po- po- poignant poignant is is Sam there holy holy crap <laughs> poignant 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 holy oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the last episode of rick and morty have you seen this week's episode poignant. of rick and morty I have. It was incredible. Uh, I want to spoil that for all of our listeners. I'm spoiling last week's episode of Rick and Morty for all of you, our listeners, right now. This uh, genuinely is the most legit spoiler that I think we're going to drop on the w- show ever, probably. Which is Rick 
Rick saying uh, that they shouldn't take something for granted, and then Morty being like, uh, Rick, um, shoot, what? How does Morty even sound like? Ah, oh, jeez. Ah, oh, oh, jeez, Rick. You just say for granted. Yeah, yeah. I said take it for granted, <laughs> and then Morty just calls him a dumbass. Yeah, and then it expands from there. Is that what I'm up for now for my use of poignant? <laughs> Which uh, I don't know how poignant. It's, it's, it's poignant. You're completely right. You could not be more right, and, and by extension, I could not be more wrong. To, to be fair, um, I, I hail from a, like a bilingual country where like French words are very often pronounced the way that they are pronounced in French. Yeah, that's true. And I hail from America where we say stuff how we want. Uh, like uh, like St. Louis. Uh, which, oh, yeah. Which I very often call St. Louis, which is like not right dude do you I know think. that technically the city where i live is not minneapolis it's a suburb st louis park no i didn't true story yeah i live in st louis park by your standards um uh, yeah um yeah man I, address is street. <laughs> <laughs> are you gonna bleed you i assume you're gonna censor apartment that. social security number two one eight <laughs> I always use my real one too, so that's that way she really. Panics. I'm just gonna assume you're gonna bleep that out. Uh, yeah, I'll probably bleep that out. But just um, to bring us back, I was saying that it's such a poignant view into Fred's vision for the future. It kind of shatters this bubble that they exist in, this perpetual high school that they live in. Just Fred speculating about what comes next. Yeah, and and I, I, I think like I feel like it mirrored you and I just a tiny bit in that you and I went, we attended the same college after high school. In high school, we were very close friends. And we actually did end up living together after high school, even if, and I will admit this to our listeners, it didn't work out so hot. It's tough being roommates with a really close friend. Like, I, it's tough being roommates at all, frankly. And, uh, and yeah, we needed to not be roommates, like, to repair the friendship. Uh, I, I would say that we are now closer than we've ever been, so it's great. Like, we yeah. are doing fine at the moment. Yeah. And, uh... Um, yeah, and I guess maybe it's just drawing from my experience that I think Fred has latent uh, homosexual feelings for Shaggy, but I think that it's, it is that kind of, let's say we're going off to college, I really still want to be close to you, could we maybe explore this a little bit, maybe it won't work out, but we can still be closer afterwards kind of thing. It's very, again, poignant. Yeah, it, it's very poignant, touching. Um, unfortunately, it's not allowed to sit for too long, because eventually, and again, I think this plays into the whole like horror aspect, like thriller aspect they soon split off into pairs, hetero- heterosexual pairs. Um, Shaggy and Velma are in the hallway. Shaggy was not going, sneaking off to see Velma. Shaggy was going off to uh, make sure his best friend was okay. Um, you know, it's... I, I have to make another note here. I think Shaggy is into bestiality, maybe. He has shown no okay. interest whatsoever. Please, please in- bleep that. <laughs> Because you said bestial first, so I'm just piggybacking, and I don't mean that literally. <laughs> See, this is the kind of thing that makes me think I need to explicit tag some of our episodes. Um, I'm not sure whether I will cut that. But, I'm genuinely not but sure. But honestly, I feel like if nobody complains, like people need to complain about it, and if nobody complains, then whatever. Um, okay, you you so. Shaggy's Shaggy's sneaking out to go see Scooby because Scooby here's let's circle back to this Scooby's sleeping in the mystery machine 
I genuinely thought Shaggy would, out of solidarity, say, I will also sleep in the mystery machine with Scooby. I don't know if I would be comfortable leaving my dog in a situation uh, like that. I would have, I would have, I, I'm not like a huge dog person, is what I'll say. Oh, uh, I'm a huge dog person. My heart breaks when I see dogs. And I, for a set, I was certain Shaggy would sleep in the mystery machine. I thought maybe even the whole gang would say, you know what, fine, we don't need to give you our business. And try and uh, play hardball like that. They did not. They caved immediately. And they didn't even walk Scooby out. They stayed in the hall outside of their rooms as Scooby walked out to the mystery. Like, yeah, himself his, into this, the mystery this animal without opposable thumbs had to let himself into this van. Yeah. He's scrabbling at the car door as gators come snapping. <laughs> as Shaggy sneaks out to see him but gets sidetracked because Velma's sneaking out to see Shaggy and, and Shaggy does lie to Velma and say oh of course I was leaving my room to go see you and, and but, but old Fred old Fred said I gotta go see Scooby and, and we get to see sort of the way these two couples and, and that is technically speaking what they are interact and relate with one another um, Daphne enters Fred's room ostensibly on the lookout for Velma yeah, but really, we know she's there to, to meet up with Fred. And, and much to her delight, Fred says, Oh, Daphne, you know, I actually have something for you. Uh, it, it's a little memento of their time together. And obviously, wow. Daphne is, she's over the moon. She's, I mean, what, think about it. You, you enter the room of the person you're crushing on hard, and the first thing they say is they have a gift for you? That's incredible. That's, they already haven't said, like, what the F are you doing here? Man, you are far and away doing better than most people in that situation already and on top of that don't just enter the room with the person you're crushing on that's a, a high confidence move you shouldn't make out of the blue but fred's okay with it and what N- is knock this get- knock first knock right? first like and like maybe get consent first before even entering their room the what fred has made for daphne is a scrapbook that's very sweet you and i you and i know what the focus of this scrapbook is going to be hopefully our listeners also have a pretty good inkling of what this scrapbook is going to hold they should darn well know in fact it's not even really a scrapbook (laughs) it's a trap book we know that it's all the different traps that fred has sprung over the years that's how he remembers his time together with daphne um we use this one to trap the phantom of vasquez castle uh and and uh, Daphne is the definition of unenthused. She's like rolling her eyes. She's sighing. She just like she's so unimpressed by by this going on. And and Fred is completely tactless. I will say this: Fred is not just bad boyfriend material. He's bad friend material. He's just like kind of like he shows it to her for a second, then he puts it back in his own lap, and he's almost just talking. He's just using her as an audience to relive his own great trap experiences. That's something I never do to it, my love. Of my it life. doesn't. <laughs> It doesn't reflect too well on Fred. Um, we we then see the inside of the mystery machine, and this is one thing I want to point out about whoever it is. Oh, it's it's um, Frank Welker who's voicing Scooby. Um, yeah. And and uh, we've we've made some comments about how Frank Welker's Scooby on Be Cool Scooby Doo is a very different Scooby from his other Scooby Doo's, and I would say that mm. this Scooby is again pretty different because this Scooby doesn't put the R's. Like, raggy you know he doesn't he actually doesn't do that it's not a hard r it's more raggy raggy uh he, he the r's almost just disappear because because i'm used to one thing that scooby will say in other series is he'll say rock rocksters 
Uh, but but in this one, he rogue. just says he says no monsters, no monsters. He's saying mo- he he's not he's kind of done away with that um, element of his speech patterns. He's under a blanket saying no monsters, no monsters. Um, obviously, the van is surrounded by these three figures, these these gator people. And one thing I thought was funny, peculiar, odd, strange, uh, weird uh-huh. is when Scooby sees them peering into the van. He yelps and uh, squeaks out, I'm a good person. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that. And I had to to replay it to make sure, and I'm not saying, I'm not delivering it in the same way, but he does say that. And he says, I'm a good person. (laughs) I think you know what that makes me think of. I am a good woman. (laughs) Assassino. I'm a good woman. Assassino. Assassino. Listeners. If you've ever played Assassin's Creed 2, you'll know that if Ezio starts to kill people in front of the uh, the Italian populace, uh, the women in particular will start to scream various things as if he met, means to murder them specifically. And, you know, they're they're just called the populace when it's Italy. Just FYI, you know, for what, what it's worth. <laughs> but, yeah, they, they scream. And the guy that goes, Assassino! That's every time I hear the word assassin, that's the echo, the refrain in my mind. The heavenly choir <laughs> sings that back. Um so so Scoob uh he he bounds he comes bounding over into the room where uh, where Fred and Daphne are and um in in terror running away from these gator th- people and he knocks over the lamp and breaks it. Yeah, and under well-justified terror, because these gator people are, like, scratching at it with their claws. They're bounding into walls and cracking them. These are really—these seem like animals in that they have no sense of the harm they're doing to themselves. And in that they're generally doing damage. Um, and, and this is—we we made reference about, like, <clears throat> sort of the cinematography and how they use light in this, uh, in this series. And again, this feels like a horror movie. This feels like a slasher movie. It's, it's dark. Like, it's—, it's almost pitch black um well there's moments where there it's almost yeah it's almost pitch black there's just a faint outline of light as their bodies catch a little bit of light with flashes of full light and it's uh, it's very i'm sorry i'm interrupting um, it's just it's so no it's fine energetic yeah it's it's, it's energetic it's it's very dynamic um and and it really ramps up the tension it made me think of the red parts were like legion legion being very ambitious in terms of cinematography. Yeah, I've heard really good things about. It. I I've not seen it myself, but I've heard great things in terms of the visuals, and it's the visuals are incredible. The story we could talk, but yeah, I, yeah, I was just really impressed with, you know, just the fact that something has like fallen over and broken, and it's their source of light, and all of a sudden they need to avoid these monsters, but it's it's difficult for them to see, um, and. It's not the sort of darkness that they feel like they can hide in because the monsters are coming at them, um, and and they they seem like animals, the kind of thing where you you can't hide from an animal like this, like a real predator. Right, it's gonna smell you exactly. out. Exactly, like fear that you have. You're prey all of a sudden. Mm. Oh, that's that's such a good way of putting it. In this episode, they are not like they're not like teenagers running away from a monster. They are prey. Uh, Shaq and Velma are, I guess, in a, I, I think they're in a bath, they're in another room with, with, again, a different source of light. In the first room, it was sort of like a bedside lamp, which sort of cast like this warm glow. 
um, Shaggy and Velma are in a room that has a very almost antiseptic light. Like, it's very bright. Mm, kind of like a Matrix um, loading scene sequence. Yeah. Uh, it's almost and, too clean. And honestly, mm. they're almost about to kiss. There's no Fred, there's no Daphne, there's no Scooby, and she's like walking up to him as he's backing away. If the genders were reversed, this would be a very uncomfortable scene. Oh, it'd be really rough. Especially because um, she's grabbed him by the shirt a couple of times, like in her but, passionate but she, desire. She is pulling him in for the kiss, and he does close his eyes and start to move in as well. It's sort of like in Hitch with the with the eighty twenty. The eighty twenty was that what it was? I always thought it was ninety ten. It might be ninety ten. Yeah, she's the ninety, and Shaggy's actually putting in the ten percent. Yeah, it's true. He does. He yields the, at the end. The rest of the gang barges in, and. Uh, and they're like, hey, these monsters are coming after us. Hit the uh, lights. They hit the lights back up against the walls, but the monsters bust in through the windows. And, and once again, it's it's this wonderful use of light and dark where, like, one of the gator people comes in through the window and you can see them silhouetted because the room itself is dark, but there's a bit of a light source from outside. Um, and and it, it crashes through. Also, at this point, I should point out that the gator people are... Okay, it's very obviously the Gators. It's, uh, this is, compared to the mystery we had last episode, laughably obvious. Because <laughs> the three because... Gators are the exact body types of the Gators. Yeah, one one is very large and muscular, one is very lithe and, like, serpentine, and has, and has an mind emo you, haircut. Hair. <laughs> uh, and there's one that is more, like, squat and clearly has, like, a feminine shape. And um, portly and has, like, a similar there face. There is something worth noting and i think that they and they never brought this up and i feel like they should have was that mm. they could be were gators oh, which yeah. is to say that like that would have been a much better cover than just yeah. saying we don't know we don't understand they made the gang dumber than they had to make them because yeah it's it's it's, it's very clearly the only three residents of this entire town but yet I, the only characters we've got i feel like there's the possibility that they were maybe they were transformed by the swamp like i don't know but that's never brought up um, at one point, the gr the floor actually bursts open, and the uh, Grady Gator person grabs Velma's uh, leg and starts to pull her in. And Shaggy actually saves her and doesn't even realize he's doing it. She has to point it out to him, like Shaggy, you saved me. Um. Uh, and and the arm when he pulls her out, the arm is still holding onto her leg. Uh, it turns out to be empty. Uh, and Scoob actually, before they realize it's an empty glove, Scooby says, that's disgusting. And again, if this was classic Scooby-Doo, it would be more like, rat, rat, rat's disgusting. Uh, but, you know, well, it's it, it's still fine. I, it just, it really stood out to me. It's different he, he does have the full Scooby gravel, which I think in the new Scooby, in Be Cool Scooby-Doo, Scooby doesn't have gravel as much. It's not like, <laughs> he sounds more human. Whereas that here, that he is a very good point, and like it's all it's all Frank Welker, which I think says a lot yeah. about his vocal performance. Um, the gang, it's quality, it's a one. Uh, it does escape. They do escape from the hotel. The mystery machine has no engine, but they use it almost like a skateboard. Yeah, well, they they just get it um, starting, and fortunately, it's all downhill from where they started. I hope. I guess they had the parking brake on, and then they just pulled that off. The little detail I love is that. The gang is all piling in as Scooby, like, slides in the driver's seat as the gang is all pushing. And as Scooby, like, 
grabs the steering wheel, he also adjusts the rear view mirror a little oh, bit. Oh, does he? That is good. It's, that is nice. It's just this let, lovely little touch that's both funny and gives it a little spot of light. So the mystery machine uh, barrels down this hill, makes it over a little bit of like a, a wooden bridge, and as soon as it makes it past like the town limits, they see the gator people turn around and leave them alone. And Fred points out for the rest of the gang, and I guess for the audience, they didn't want to eat us. They just wanted to run us out of town. Uh, at which point... Which is... And, and, like, really quick, that's a nice thought, but they were, like, grabbing Velma trying to pull her through the floorboards. There was an easier way to run you out of town, and we just told you it was Greta. She could have just not given you a room. That's it. Done. <laughs> I know. Maybe I shouldn't litigate this midway through the episode. Not midway, nor towards the tail end. We can talk about that more later. Sorry. It is. It is just one of those things where it's like it's. It's a scheme that seems so. There's so many holes in it. Uh, it. And and it's so easy to plug some of these holes. You can almost kill two birds with one stone plugging some of these holes. Like I. I feel like you could even tell like if they pretended to be like were gators and people came in and were scared away and then they brought police back. The police would be like, they're not weird gators, they're just weirdos, you know? Mm -hmm. And it would discredit the person, the people who were, like, um, snitching yeah. on them. It's just... Uh, anyway. No, basically, basically, they do return. Um, and... <laughs> I, At Fred's behest. Everyone else is like, what? Really? And Fred's like, yeah, we gotta solve that mystery, apparently. I, I love this. It actually reminded me a lot of uh, the ghostly creep from the deep, which was the, the Globetrotters episode of the new Scooby-Doo movies. Um, in, in that you see them in, in full gator people monster regalia in, in their costumes and they're just moving boxes around at a, at a dock. Like monsters, they, they think they've scared off the bad guy, the, the, the gang. And even if they don't think they have, they're still going to do their criminal nefarious activities anyways just in these costumes, acting like monsters. Uh, we, we've established that pretty much all of the uh, all of the villains in Scooby Doo are method actors of the Daniel Day Lewis variety. Exactly that, and that yeah, they're moving crates into a fan boat as monsters. I I want to say I think it might be a fetish for this family because again, it's a brother, a sister, and the sister's son. We don't know who the father is, and they all like dressing up together. You know what? It's we we rag on the South a lot, which sometimes I think is a little unfair of us. Um, I, I will say that when I saw that Greta was cross-eyed, I thought it would, might be one of those, like, really, and I will say this, cr cruel. One of those cruel, uh, stereotype-type jokes that, like, oh, like, rednecks are, like, inbred, such-and-such. And, such. and then I realized that we don't know who Greta's parents are. If anything, and if this was the case, Gunther would be the weird cross-eyed one. Yeah, uh, Gunther is kind of weird, but, you, you know, like, this could be second... But the, my big thing is that not only do we not know who Gunther's parent, father is, he's never mentioned, but we know who Greta's brother is, um, but... And they all like dressing up together. Um, but when we meet Gunther, they ask, like, man, you all... A whole family, or all of your last names are Gator, and you live in Gatorsburg? Like, what's up with that? And Greta's like, oh, it's just a coincidence <laughs> and there's never anything expanded on that we never learn anything more i don't know i don't know what that means i don't want it to mean bad things but it i don't know luke it's just a coincidence just move on <laughs> um, and, and in an episode with lots of sexual energy and lots of sexual themes as well 
Um, segue from that to the gang, um, again, watching these gator people load boxes into a fan boat. Um, they crack open one of these boxes with a crowbar that's nearby. Yeah. And they see all this gator gear inside. It's, it's Velma who breaks in, because in this series, Velma's the one who takes a lot of action. Uh, and like you said, mm. there's all this gator gear, like belts, purses, wallets, etc. Daphne does something oh, that... This is the scene that uh, it swerved me the hardest. I was so expecting it to be something, and it was something else. It, it, turned, it actually turned my stomach a little bit. I will be perfectly honest. It was, I thought it was weird, and then it was gross. Um, but she basically takes one of these gator belts out of a, uh, out of a plastic bag, and she like flicks her wrist so it like wraps tight around her forearm. And for a second, I thought around her like entire arm, it just like her wraps arm around. Her, like wraps around. You can hear it's it's like tight and squeezing the skin. And for a second, I thought Daphne's into bondage. And you know, like I had a thought with like, is is this a thing where the gator stuff is fake and that's what the scam is? And I thought, oh, Daphne uses alligator leather bondage stuff, and she will recognize the real deal. <laughs> because because of the snap because the snap because she does it in such a way that it feels yeah it's it's a strong action it there's a lot of like like there's some like yeah there's a little bit of like a crack as it like hits her skin yeah, it'd be like if they were um, robbing a different kind of leather factory and shaggy was like is this real leather he put on a leather mask and like gave himself a couple of tries with a whip like oh yeah that's genuine rawhide that's what this action seemed like to me <laughs> You've been gross a lot this episode, but you're you're not wrong. I can see why you would think that. And for me, it was impossible to extrapolate otherwise until she gave us. Something well, after else. after she whips the belt on her arm, she like she like winces. She like makes a sound of pain, and I'm just like, oh, gross. Like I actually was a, sort of in the same. My mind was in the same gutter yours was, um, until she because rem- it seemed like painful pleasure, right? Yeah. But then she removes the belt, <sighs> and you can see, instead of just regular old welts, like, her skin has, like... Is, or, like, a red mark, like an Indian burn. Her her skin is, like, angry. It's, like, it's like boils, almost. It's so, gro- it's so gross. Yeah, it's these giant pimply boils all over these stripes on her arm. And she says, basically, hey, I'm allergic to fake leather. And that's what I was testing here. My thought, hey, Daphne, yeah. if you want to test if this is fake leather, why wrap it around tight your whole arm? <laughs> I wrote that down, Brush too. it against, yeah, like, she's, the top of she's your allergic foot. <laughs> to, uh, she's allergic to all imitation animal skin. So she, like... And I'm just like, you could, yeah. <laughs> so she eats one full belt and then waits to die. <laughs> it's just oh. like, hey, uh, we're trying to figure out if there's peanuts in this recipe. Yeah, dog. Let me let me, I I can determine that for you, and like you eat the whole thing because you're like deathly allergic to peanut butter. You yeah oh don't worry you know like um, peanut butter makes my my throat swell so much it closes, and instead of taking a tiny bit so you get a bit of tightness in your in your throat you you know you it's just it's so overboard it's very, it's highly unnecessary uh-huh. and and it's disgusting again she's she looks deformed. Ugh. Ugh, I need to get that off my screen, dude. Okay, stop looking at it. I I will st- I will barrel ahead and basically just say they decide to trap the Gator people and they do. Uh, they set up a Rube Goldberg esque machine involving a bunch of belts, mind you. And the Scooby Wiki does point this out because I noticed it too. Velma handles these belts with no problems. Ah, oh, that's true. Daphne does. Um, 
Which is oh, sorry, yeah, Daphne. Hold, too bad because uh, they made it careful that Daphne didn't touch the purse at the beginning. They preserved it there, but just not later on. Uh, because they use the belts as pulleys, and and Daphne is pulling one of the one of the one of the pulleys. Um, this is this is very uncommon for Scooby Doo, in that, and and honestly, even uncommon for this show. Like with episode two, they've already jumped the shark. Because in episode one, Fred sets up a trap and it does not trap the monster. But in this one, there are zero hitches. Like, it goes off so flawlessly. Which is pretty incredible considering that they set up three separate pulleys uh, and instead of rope, used snake, like, alligator leather belts fed into each other. There must be at least 50 belts in play here that they had to thread together after cracking open five different crates as the other crates are being loaded. And the capper of it all, after the gators had all been thrown up in the air, is that Velma swoops in with a forklift and three gator trunks. And, and I can only assume Velma teaches OSHA classes over the weekend because she does like a donut and lays these three trunks out all open for the gators to fall into. And they all snap shut. And it's just so, yeah, it is Instantly. very open and shut. It's so seamless. It's almost what would happen at the, be- at the beginning of an episode. To sh- yeah, exactly. Like we did with that other one where the, the trap worked and they closed things up to then establish a base reality to emerge it's, from, it's from just there. The joke, the long running joke is that there are these elaborate traps and they don't work in the intended way, but they very often work in an unintended way. Like with, um, like with mystery mask mix up. Oh um, yeah. In which, they set up like the train track thing for like the the Chinese warlord go- ghost, and it doesn't work out the way they wanted it to, but it still does trap him. It makes me think of uh, a night of fright is no delight, where the washing machine um, gag didn't work the way it was intended, but it did take them on a high flying journey, and they did catch the ghost with that exact same mechanism. It was just not how they intended. Here it is. It's pretty strange that it works exactly as intended. It's pretty strange that they. We all know exactly who the monsters are so clearly up at this point, and there's been zero other candidates. So they do, there's like a classic like unmasking scene. Um, they do go into the details, which is, and this should be pretty obvious to everyone, um, they, were, they were selling this imitation alligator leather, I guess to make money, which makes sense because it's a dead town where there's no, mm. nothing around. Um, and, and they basically just scared people off as gator monsters so nobody would see their base of operations uh shaggy says oh like that is one ridiculous plan uh gunther says we would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling and i was like Here i like is. actually Come like on. leaned yeah. into my screen because <laughs> this is what episode 22 22 of us We've been picking randomly. It's been based on nothing. We've taken from every series. We have yet to hear, I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling kids. We have yet to hear that phrase. We would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddling juveniles and your unauthorized investigation of our synthetic gator accessories. It's almost like they're teasing us. That's honestly what it feels like. This is, uh, it's making me question if they like put it out in commercials like every scooby promo had that phrase and they never had it in an episode it was purely a joke it had like i think uh, some of our other some of our podcast other members of the scooby podcast family have said that it does show up um but it's it's definitely in scooby-doo where are you somewhere and 
it's it just doesn't happen with anywhere near the frequency that I think we have been expecting. Man, I'd love to um, track that with a chart and see how it got huge without being a real consistent thing. But, uh, but I, they did catch I also everybody. will yeah. turn this back to you uh, to let you do one of the things you love to do best because the sheriff of Crystal Cove does make an appearance. Yes. Uh, he he shows up and he's bedecked in an alligator leather tracksuit uh yes. which he's he's upset to realize is is fake um and uh <laughs> he he's he spent a lot of money on this ludicrous uh, item of clothing you're telling me this gator stuff is fake i paid a fortune for this <laughs> Okay, now I need you to say this last <clears throat> this last line. Um, uh, he says, "Arrest them," and that he uh, arrest them, and then even though I have absolutely no jurisdiction here, and he yells the last part. Absolutely no jurisdiction here. I, I love it. I thought I'd forgotten about Patrick Warburton. Honest to goodness, that he was in this series because he didn't show up till the very end, where he was at the beginning of the last one, and he does have one line that sounds incredibly. Patty Warbucks esque. Man, I gotta get out of this tracksuit. Ah, the poison, the poison for Cusco. Cusco's poison. Man, I gotta get out of this tracksuit. That that low under the brown. Oh, that was. No, it's not that good. Yeah, I am yeah. genuinely ashamed of my Patty Warbucks. I need to improve that and Fred. No, you. Funk. I will say you've had better days, but you're still miles ahead of me. Uh, I will wrap up this episode very quickly. By saying that Fred is like, oh, sh- hey, Sheriff, give us a ride back. It's too late. The Mystery Machine is still essentially just a large cart uh, yeah. of sorts. Until he opens, he notices that the engine has been returned. And there's an envelope from Mr. E uh, that says... As, as a matter of fact, real quick, not only has the engine been returned, it turn- the, the car turns on by, without by anyone itself. in it. They're all freaked out. By itself. Uh Hope you had a good time in Gatorsburg, but be warned, this is only the first piece of the puzzle. And that's the end of the episode. That's it. The, uh, you've been saying this a lot. I will say it now. There's one last thing. Oh. Uh, which is that in classic episodes of Scooby-Doo, it will end with a, with Scooby-Doo doing like a gag and everyone laughing mm. with him or him laughing. This episode actually ends with Shaggy holding Velma's hand. You're right. And her smiling at him. Scooby jumps into Shaggy's arms and shivers terrified as the two of them hold hands. Yeah, I guess because Shaggy saving her showed that he really does care. And it really it really progresses their relationship. Fred and Velma have sorry, Fred and Daphne are going nowhere fast. Yeah, uh, no but, kidding. Uh, oh, wait, are we using ship names? Um what, what did we decide Fel uh, uh Fafni <laughs> and Vag. <laughs> Baggy and Fafni. <laughs> Yo, I ship Baggy hard, man. I think it's Shelma. I think Shelma's fine, I guess. Shelma. Uh, honestly, I that's I feel like we as far as impressions, most of mine have to do with just this setting that they created where like we've both been commenting there's just like a lot of sexuality and it, and and then the way that they that they directed it it just felt very terrifying it truly even though it seemed pretty obvious who it was i still 
did find it very scary and I thought it was good and I thought it uh, it stuck to a lot of those classic classic teen slasher tropes. It did have a lot of those in it. I think my disappointment comes from the fact that I don't think you can replace the mystery of uh, of who did it by elevating the the fright level of the monster, by how scary and terrifying the monster is. And with that said, it was a gorgeous episode. Like it's had full screen animation, uh, just really creative use of light and dark and shadow and uh, and uh, and color. It was beautiful to watch. A little disappointing compared to the last episode, which just felt like it had this real sense of setting. It was real. It was this real lived-in town. We were really learning more and progressing more with these relationships. This felt like an episode that would come later in the series, like a three-quarters of the way through the season episode, which is kind of like a bottle episode where you're... I, th- I think I do agree with that. It did seem... Uh, too soon after the pilot to be getting into this kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, just isolating uh, the gang like this feels like something that you do once you've built in a lot and you need to get them in a pressure cooker to let everything come to a head. And it felt too soon for that. For the sake of the episode, for the sake of... Uh, what I mean is the episode Scooby Dudes, not of Mystery Incorporated. Okay, yeah. I, I do think we need to say... And, and I still, I wish that this had made an appearance. I will be concerned if it doesn't at all on this show. And it's going to be a little while before we return, obviously. It's been like 11 episodes since the last time we did this. I guess we'll just do this every 11 episodes. I guess so. Tune yeah. in for episode 3, episode 33. Um, well, I mean, but... we're going to have to do another uh, uh, What's uh, Shaggy and Scooby-Doo Get a Clue, so that'll put a sh- push us out to 12 episodes, right? Oh, no, well, like... Sorry, is, this is episode twenty-two that we're no, doing. No, I'm, I'm kidding. We'll never okay. do that again. <laughs> okay. Um, no. I. Uh, um, uh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. What? I, I'll be concerned if this never makes an appearance, and I and I'm mildly and I, I once again I'm concerned hmm. that maybe this is just an aspect of Mystery Incorporated, but I was sorely missing the Scooby Dupe. That's true. It's it seems like a comedic thing that they almost everything comedic as a trope, was on the chopping block to make room for some of the stuff they wanted to do in this series. Um, they, they took a lot out. For 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 any new listeners, oh, what what is the Scooby-Doo? Please? Well, the Scooby-Doo is a gag typically um, done by Scooby and Shaggy in which they uh, pretend to be blending in with their setting, typically as actors in a scene, uh, meaning like if they're at Wimbledon, they're playing tennis. If they're at the beach, they're lifeguards. And uh, they treat the monster as if he's also just a typical person in this setting and thereby make the monster abandon the monster persona and adopt a different persona. In other words, they create a social impetus that the monster must submit to. Yeah, it's the, so- the social, like you said, the social impetus, it's too, it's too strong, it's too great to ignore. I will, I will provide an example for this episode. Um, let's yes. say, what should they have done? Let's say that uh, Scooby and Shaggy are being chased by a single gator person. Oh, dude, I get it. They throw some beads um, on the gator person to make the gator person take off the mask. That's brilliant. <laughs> I see what you're saying, okay. man. That's not it. Um, they the the gator uh, maybe maybe um, comes upon them, and Scooby is behind a camera, which again makes it sound like we're doing your thing. But no, this is a separate mm-hmm. gag. Scooby's behind a camera. Shaggy is wearing like um, cargo shorts and like a vest, and he says, "Oh, like oi." This is, uh, oh shoot! What would it sound like if Shaggy was doing that? Like, like, like crikey! Boy, this is like crikey! Well, 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 we we got we got like we got like a real 
now it sounds like Morty. Uh, like like Butte. Oh jeez, uh, Scooby. He, he does like a. Yeah. <laughs> oh jeez, oh jeez, Scoop. We really gotta go on another adventure. Listen here, Raggy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I will draw that fan art. Maybe <laughs> I maybe I will. It's, it's, I feel like it'd be really we'll easy. Um, but but yeah, it basically he he pretends that like it's a nature doc. It's a nature show. He's like Steve Irwin, and this is like a really big croc. And the croc tries to menace him, and Sco- Scoob's like you know, or sorry, Shaggy's like, oh, there, like there's only one way to get out of something like this, uh, and maybe it's like you have to throw a pie in his face, like that's how. It, and and it's like a double joke where like. Obviously, mm. you would never throw a pie in an alligator's face, but but like that's what they do in yeah. this case. It, it's it's something like that where like sorry, let me give another example that I think has the monster act mm. react more because that one I think the one I provided was more Bugs Bunny esque. Um, yeah, and the one I provided is, doesn't have much it, of an impetus for the monster to react or allow Scooby and Shaggy to get away. So what's what's so our next idea? In this case, um, it's it's the same general premise in that they're like oh like oh like oh this is a big croc etc. Um, but then, but then it was like, uh, he starts to be more educational and he's like, uh, crocs are like often sluggish and will, and will, uh, gain energy by, um, by, by sunning themselves. And maybe there's like a little tanning bed and the monster comes at him and Scoop and Shaggy's like, by sunning themselves. (laughs) And then the monster's like, like, uh, you know, like uncomfortable, like awkward and like, you know, sort of like. Uh, lies under like the tanning bed, but then realizes that it's actually like quite nice, and sort of oh, like and comes to it. It like relaxes, and that's when Scooby and Shaggy run off. And then there's like mm. a short, there's like a beat, at which the monster before realizes he realizes they that they've gone. That's classic, a classic yeah. gag. That's a Scooby Doo right there. That's a Scooby Doo. They could have done a Scooby Doo without undercutting the uh, the more serious relationship driven tone they have here. I think. Well, I, uh, you, sorry, go ahead. I, I, I my, my big complaint with this show, I guess the big bone I have to pick with it, is that by giving both Shaggy and Velma and Fred and Daphne's relationships such priority, they're really making Scooby a fifth wheel um, in a way that doesn't feel necessary. Like, he's kind of, he's kind of a damp towel. Scooby very much feels like a, like a guest in his own show. And I think you're right in mm. that we're very invested in Shaggy and Velma. And the fact that Scooby is the object that's coming between them makes us like him less. Which I think yeah, is... Yeah, that, that's exactly what I mean. I think that's right. You should never feel that way about any Scooby-Doo show. Yeah. Scooby, even if Scooby's not your favorite part of it, you should never dislike Scooby. Uh, what I wanted to say to kind of wrap this up, because we are very long. Um, yeah. Is that I think one of the reasons the Scooby Doop doesn't work is because the Scooby Doop lessens the frightening aspect of the monster. It humanizes them. Yeah. Um, it makes them acknowledge that and, they're. And you. I think it makes them less scary. So I think for for the show to maintain that these monsters are very frightening, the Scooby Doop can't take place. But I still deeply, dearly want it to. In this show, we almost see the opposite. When the arm, get, when this glove sleeve gets pulled off of one of the monsters. Scooby's like, oh, that's gross, and he throws it, and another monster catches it in the mouth and, like, tears it apart by shaking it like an animal would. Like, when the gang says, hey, you're not a real monster, that's just a costume, the monster villain doubles down and acts more bestial 
Um, so it's like, yeah, it's hum they're going the opposite direction of trying to undercut the scariness of the monster. They're trying to make the monster as scary as possible. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a really good point. Yeah. Anyways, I mean, it's confusing because I, I guess it's muddier than that since they did just pull the arm off of the monster. But it, it's an interesting episode, one that had some, again, strong sexual tones, which I, as much as we like to joke about that, I think we generally try and avoid talking about that kind of stuff on the podcast. Honestly, I this episode, I after intros and outros, might be one of the longest that we've ever done. But I think that th there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Uh, and I think we did a passable job. I think pretty good. I mean, write us with your thoughts, people. That's what we always say. Let us know how we're doing. Um, if you have, uh, if you think we did really well, rate us five stars on iTunes. If you think we didn't, send us a private email, please. Um, <laughs> let us know those thoughts separately and give us a chance to make things right and then give us five stars. That was the full episode. Thank you so much for sticking with us. We know we ran pretty long, but I think we covered a lot of content of worth. And now we're going to tell you where else you can follow up with us. If you're tired of listening, there's some other places you can get more tent yeah. content. Um, even though we ran really long, I really hope you stick around and listen to all of this because there's a lot of important stuff uh, we want to talk about. Um, mm. Just so that it's the first thing, just so that hopefully you don't stop just yet. Uh, this is something that I said we were going to start doing last week. This week, we have our first title card by Sarah Duval. Ah, oh, tight. Um, she's only she's doing a very short stint, just two title cards, um, for two consecutive episodes. But she's uh she just started listening. She loves her stuff. She has a beautiful, very clean style. Um, and I, I'm just really excited for the work that she's doing with us. That we're able to partner with her. If you want to find her on Twitter, which is actually how we uh, how we got connected with her. Uh, through through a mutual friend um it's at little underscore corvus that's c-o-r-v-u-s uh please please follow her please check out her stuff it's it's beautiful uh she's just a really talented lady she's incredible we uh she's out of our league we're amazing that we have her on our cast so uh yeah you, oh, you gotta check sorry, out her title card let work. me let me specify and and i should have done this before um, their Twitter says they them for pronouns, so please check out their Twitter page and please check out their oh, art. Good point. Yeah, uh, incredible artwork, incredible talent. Lucky to have them on board with us. Um, and uh, we'll tell you where you can find that title card stuff in a minute. But first and foremost, we ought to direct you guys and girls to Patreon. Yeah, Patreon is a place where you can, uh, as Lucas said, and which I think is very snappy. It's, it's a service that helps small-time artists achieve their big-time dreams. Uh, and the way they do, that they do that is by facilitating uh, or having a way of, of letting fans um, monetarily support the creators that they admire and that they enjoy. Yeah, so you can donate whatever you feel comfortable with, whatever this podcast is worth to you, and you can get content in proportion back uh, based on your donation level on a regular basis. And in fact, I'm kicking into gear with our jam sessions that uh, you can now, you're soon going to have available so you can listen to additional recording content, non-Scooby-Doo related. That's all going to be through Patreon for just a small donation a month. You can help us cover our overhead because this is a work of, of love. If nobody else helps us pay for it, Evan and I shell out of our own pockets. Uh, other, other bonuses, uh, Sarah did tell me that they were going to put together like a work in progress GIF for this title card. Um, that's going to be really great and, um, uh, 
they, they said mm. it was not a big deal. I think that'll be fun. I'm, I'm going to be posting that after I receive it. Um, in addition to all of that, you will become one of a one of a very select few who has their name read aloud every single episode. We'll say it every single week thereafter. Uh, so so yeah, we're we're not gonna we're not gonna beat around the bush. Here are all of our uh, all of our donors, and we're so grateful for them. Yeah. Yeah. With those lavish praises and gratitude out of the way. Um, where else can these folks follow up with us? Well, I mean, we've talked about the title card. You can get a, title, a view of these great title cards we've got, including the upcoming one, at scoobydudes.com. Scoobydudes.com, you can see all of the original art that we've commissioned uh, from all of these extremely talented artists. Uh, we've also taken screenshots and we've captioned them, which we think are very funny. It's incredible. There's incredible... Uh, I love the screenshots and captions, particularly last week um, for the double episode that we did, episode 21, the corrections in the show notes were rich. They were teeming with life. This is uh, like what Timon and Pumbaa feel like when they roll over a dead log. And then what they see under there, that's what you're going to see at Scooby-Doo. It's just gems and jewels. Uh, if you, don't, you, if you don't think our captions are funny, I can almost guarantee that you will find our show notes interesting, fascinating, educational. It's worth checking out the website. For, for any or all of that, it's all it's yeah. all great. Even just um, to take a glance at the art, with only one very recent exception, all of our art is incredible. It's top-notch. The the exception is the probably the title card that I did last week. Did, did you do that last week? Oh, dude, I'm so you, sorry I told you how much I hated it. I did not realize <laughs> when I was telling you, you how it was utter crap. To be fair to you, I did a very good job of stifling my sobs. Yeah, you. So. I did not. I thought you were laughing at how good I was roasting that artist. <laughs> how, how well I was putting that person um, on blast. No, Evan too has contributed art, and like I think it's worthwhile just to see. It's almost like a deviant art collection from various artists on the subject of Scooby Doo. It's interesting from that perspective alone. I uh, also look if you want to connect with us. I'm just gonna rattle this off, Luke, if you don't mind. Please. Twitter at the Scooby Dudes. Just remember the 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 Scooby Dudes. Facebook Facebook.com/slash Scooby Dudes. Email uh, Scooby Dudes Podcast at gmail.com. These are all ways to connect with us. Always to follow us. Please, I haven't had time. I will admit to schedule stuff recently. I will get on that very very soon. Uh, hopefully by the time this. Hopefully by the time this episode comes out, uh, the updates will have gone back into full swing. You know, I personally, I follow, I would follow that even if it's not uh, super frequent because it's good stuff. I mean, better quality than quantity, right? These are great memes you guys are tapping into. Uh, so you guys, please got to check that out. Hook, connect with us wherever you can. And, and here's one last thing. Um, and this is a little bit of a surprise for you, uh, and I'm very excited oh. to do it. Um, I love I love when I get surprises on the air. That's my favorite thing. We we have made a promise that every time we get a five star review on iTunes, <gasps> I me personally will read it aloud. And Luke never knows about any of this, so it's always I I get a real kick out of seeing his reactions. Yeah, I I don't track it. I'm very lazy and very disconnected, and Evan keeps close track of these things. So we I take it we've got another five star review, or I think if we get five one star reviews. We'll, we'll read them as well. Uh, so this is... No, I'm kidding. We won't. Five star or nothing. Um, this is a review that was actually posted yesterday, uh, September 19th, 2017. Um, 
it, it is five okay. stars as mentioned it is posted by someone who goes by anonymous four zero one three five uh the title of the review is awesome podcast dang uh and the review itself reads stumbled onto this podcast looking for a scooby-doo podcast and i love it hilarious fun and entertaining is that the whole thing that's the whole thing that's it it's short and sweet that is that our friend mike no because we already have we already have his his review his was on may 29th oh that's right he already reviewed us it sounded a, a little bit like potentially man another person just randomly stumbled upon us and uh and liked us enough to write a review as much as like i feel like we put a lot of good work into this podcast and i think we do a good job that really warms my heart to think that people just seek us out and find us not just via our face like being friends with us and and like we i'm not gonna say that we beg for these reviews i want to say that we ask please, politely for I, them i beg please please give me your reviews <laughs> give me your uh, no, I'll beg for him. Yeah, heck but, yeah. But, but I even if we begged, I wouldn't think we'd get anything. No, and we really we really <laughs> take them to heart. If you like our stuff, uh, let us know. And especially when it comes to iTunes, by doing so, you help let other people know as well, which I think which I think is great. Yeah, it lets everyone know. And if and if you don't like our stuff and you want to let everyone know, please email us first. Just send us an email: scoobydudespodcast@gmail.com. <laughs> like, come on, let's let's deal with this like adults. Let's take it in private. And then we'll tell you why you need to like us and give us five stars on iTunes. We deserve it. Please, please, please. <laughs> I, the, problem, the problem that I see with letting you go on too long is I feel like you won't cut the podcast. 